Hello there. I'm Ryan Woods, a Spartan god. This is my own mind. You're listening to the I'm a Spartan podcast, Scott Knowles. And I'm, what the fuck am I doing this, man? This is fucking stupid. Are you kidding me? I'm doing these favors for these bums? Nah, fuck this. I'm out here. Katie, bring me some wine. I'm fucking out. I am Scott the Fane Knowles, and you're listening to another episode of I'm a Spartan OCR Podcast. On this episode, I have Josh Chase, and I've been wanting to have him on for quite some time, but now was a perfect opportunity because he just got his age group, his first age group podium at Savage Race, and uh, he's going to tell us a little bit about that. And if you're not familiar with who Josh Chase is, Matt B. Davis at Obstacle Racing Media has a show that comes on on Tuesdays called Discourse with Davis and Chase, and Josh Chase is the other half of the show with Matt B. Davis. It's a really good show. It's one that I look forward to out of all the podcasts I listen to. These guys are always joking around, and they're witty, and their banter is great. They talk about obstacle course racing, and they talk about everything else under the sun. So it was a pleasure to have Josh on the show. And, uh, well, here's the interview. Hey, what's up, man? Not too much. What's cracking? Not a whole lot. One question. Did you have my name programmed into your phone? I did. Oh, shit. That means we're friends. Right on. <laughs> I even have Scott the Fane Knowles in there. Oh, yeah. So you. So did you remember when I posted in Discord? I've got to take the the out of it because Robert Colborough sent me an email saying that if I wanted to have points or whatever, blah, 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 I have to have a consistent name that doesn't have quotations in it. I, I do remember that, and I think it's bullshit. Yeah, well. Well, and then I was like, but wait, what about Steve, the Trailmaster Hammond? But he's changed his since then, too. <laughs> but anyway. He did say I could still leave my middle name in there, so that'll work. We'll take it. Right. So, Josh, I'm already recording. But, uh, man... Like, I've heard you probably on like a hundred different podcasts. You used to have your own podcast, and now you are the other half of Obstacle Racing Media Discord with Davis and Chase. So, but, and I know you used to work at like Best Buy, and didn't you work at like Office Depot or Staples or something too? I've done all of the the technology <laughs> Retail stores from Office Max to Staples to Best Buy, all of it. Oh, so you just hoard around all of them then, huh? Yeah, I pretty much, I, I worked at Staples. We opened a store. I got fired after three months because I was like an idiot, 17-year-old kid. Um, then I went to Office Max where my buddies were working and uh, worked there for a couple of years. And then uh, Best Buy opened and we all thought the grass was greener over there. So we all went there. And, uh, that was my That was my teenage employment years. Right. And I remember you telling me that, but I don't think I've ever heard like your story about like, how did you get like into OCR and all? Because I remember you're kind of like a grunge kid. Like I was grew up in the, in, you know, in the nineties, you know, and went and watched alternative music and all and stuff. So, I mean, I skateboarded, so I kind of was already 
mildly athletic, I guess you could say, but I was just wondering, like, what was your athletic background, you know, coming into OCR? Yeah, I had, um, so growing up, I played a, a ton of hockey. That, that was my sport. And then when I was, when I was super young, probably like seven or eight years old, uh, the team needed a goalie because nobody wanted to play. And my dad was the coach. So we had all the gear. This is, this is back when the teams actually had the gear and they just gave it to the kids that were playing. And then the next team came in. And, uh, so long story short, I ended up playing goalie, uh, started when I was like seven or eight years old that carried me through high school and, um, uh, Ended up getting into a D1 college. I oh, got wow. into UMaine to play hockey. And uh, shortly after starting my career there, had uh, an ACL tear that uh, knocked me out of school and, and had some personal issues that I was dealing with. Essentially, I was a bad student and uh, ended up dropping out of school and then sort of shut down like physically. I didn't, I didn't really do much else in terms of sports. I'd play like, you know, deck hockey just on the, the Sunday rec league and the beer yeah. leagues and yeah. stuff like that. But um, I didn't really start like cardio wise doing anything until like early thirties. Um, I want to say like 2012, my buddy invited me to run like a local 5k, which for him was just to drink some beers afterwards. And for <laughs> me, it was like, all right, I'll, I'll try that. Um, my first 5k, my finish time was like 37 minutes. Um, and then I just, you know, I got into running local 5Ks. We have a great uh, local, you know, craft beer 5K series up here near Boston. And uh, just did that for a while. And then uh, a buddy of mine on Facebook posted this link to, like, this mud run uh, that was local to us and said, hey, we're all going to sign up and do this. Do you guys want to do it? And I was like, sure, I'll, I'll do it. And there was, like, seven or eight of us. And... Uh, the day before race day, like that Friday, I sent everybody a message on Facebook and I was like, Hey, what time are you guys all meeting tomorrow? So I can come meet you. And they're like, Oh, none of us ever signed up for that. Did you actually sign up for it? Oh my God. <laughs> uh, so I was like, well, I paid for it. So I'm going to go and, uh, ended up running this race. It was called ruckus run in, uh, Marshfield mass. It's since gone out of business, but I ended up meeting uh, a bunch of the, the new England Spartans up there and fell in with them and, and then it just kind of exploded from there. So it was, that was two, it actually was 2011. Um, and then, you know, ended up doing my first Spartan race in 2012 and then kind of the rest is history. <laughs> so, and, and didn't you start that new England, uh, Spartans group? I didn't really start it. They, they were already kind of a group. They, they had stemmed from like a local, like dodgeball rec league. Um, <laughs> they were like the mass league Spartans. And then they, they all went and ran a mud run and stuff like that. So it kind of transformed into it. So I joined it very early on, but they already had kind of an established group at that point. So I was just, I was just one of the earlier members as part of it. So did you start the podcast for, it, or was that something that was already started and you joined in later? So we all, we all started as a group. It was me, Paul Jones, Sandy Ree. Um, so the three of us just thought, Hey, you know, we, we go to all these races and, and the best part for us was, you know, the after race where we're just sitting around having beers. I think it might've stemmed from, uh, might've been like a trip to one of the OCR world championship events where it was like, we'd, we'd all race during the day, but the better part was at the end of the day, everybody comes back to the house we rent or the apartment or whatever. And, we're just shooting the shit. Everybody's telling stories from the day. Um, so that kind of, you know, was sort of the, the creational uh, point for the, the podcast that the three of us started. 
Yeah, because I used to listen to that podcast too, and I, and I'd never met you before, and I don't even think I knew what you looked like at the time. I was just, you know, when I found one OCR podcast, I was like, well, shit, I'm gonna look for some more, you know, because I've already listened. I think the first one I found was Obstacle Dominator. And once I'd listened to every single one of those episodes, I was like, well, what else is out there? And then I found Matt's podcast, and then I found yours. And I remember listening to an episode of yours, and I think your leg was already, like, in a boot from something. And you were like, I'm going to do this race. I'm going to do this race. I'm going to do this race. I was like, man, this guy's going to do all these races. He must be badass. He's got a boot on. Yeah. Badass or dumb is really what it comes down to, depending on when you were listening. Um, so I, I ran a half marathon. It was 4th of July. And this was twenty was it 2018, maybe. So I ran a half marathon. It was on the road. And uh, like the eight-mile mark, I had stopped at the local like fire department because they had an aid station and porta-potties and everything. So I stopped there to go to the bathroom, and I stepped out of the porta-potty, and I almost like, fell down. My, oh, wow. my whole shin was just like on fire i felt like i had like stabbing pains in it like an idiot i did i decide to continue running the race so i run the next five miles or walk the next five miles and then um i was like yeah whatever it's just you know it's a sore shin it'll get better next day it didn't get better the next day it got worse <laughs> uh, so i don't go to the doctor he's like yeah you have you have you probably have a stress fracture in your ankle uh oh, wow. so you're gonna get a boot and we're going to put you in the boot for like six to eight weeks. And it was like right before Palmerton. It was right before the, the Boston races. It was right before Noram. And I was like, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll take this boot, but I'm, I'm like not going to wear it. It also was right before our vacation to Utah. We were about to go on like a two week hiking vacation in Utah. Yeah. And uh, the doctor was like, well, <laughs> you know, I know you're not going to wear it hiking, but just wear it when you're not hiking. Um, I didn't listen. Uh, I went hiking, I went running still, <laughs> and then ended up with a full-blown fracture in my ankle. Oh, so, shit. Uh, spent the next two months in the boot, like, exclusively. So, it oh. happens. You don't listen to the doctor, that's what happens. That sucks. Do you, like, yeah. do you ever have any, like, issues, like, from that and, like, when you tore your... Would you say you tore your ACL when you were playing hockey? Does those like did you like recover from those injuries good, or does it like kind of flare up every once in a while? Like, can you tell like I fucked this up at one point and it's still like got a <laughs> nagging pain to it? I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, uh, you know what's funny is like when I was younger, my mom always used to make those jokes like, "Oh, I can tell the weather's coming in because my my bones are aching." I was like, yeah. "You're such a liar. That is not a thing." But I'll tell you, I feel it in my knee more than ever like my, oh, wow. my acl is fully recovered i actually i actually have a part of a uh, a dead person essentially that they used to replace my torn acl sweet um, yeah so i have i have cadaver ligaments in my knee so those are fine like i you know again i didn't really do anything physically for quite some time when i was younger um so that's not really an issue my ankle and my shin it definitely comes back the more efforts i put in so if i if i have like long runs and i'm not uh, working on like my, my lower body strength, I definitely start to feel it in my shins a lot. Um, and I think a lot of that stems from my running form. Uh, it, it's probably not the greatest. I don't do as much of that like PT work that I used to do. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there'll be some days where I'm just like, my shins are definitely tender. And I know if I like push it too hard, I could go the wrong way with it. So I usually just, I'll spend the day on an off day. My apartment also has like all hardwood floors, so I try and always walk around with like my recovery sandals on, and I'm not walking on bare feet. Um, so yeah, I just 
I try and take it easy, but it definitely, you know, after those long run days, you definitely feel it sort of as a nagging injury in the background. Right. And you've done quite a few Spartan ultras too. So. Yeah, I've done, uh, well, one every year since 2016, at least one every year. There was one year where I went like all in and I was like, I'm only going to run ultras this year. (laughs) Uh, I ended up failing half of the ones that I, that I tried. I ran Jersey, I ran the Quebec Ultra, which to me, still to this day, is the absolute most difficult race I've ever done. Um, and then I DNF'd uh, Owl's Head in Montreal, and I DNF'd Killington. Um, mainly because I didn't DNF them because I didn't make time cutoffs or anything. I just wasn't really having fun on those <laughs> particular days. Um, so I was just like, you know, I'll, I'll get out of here and I'll get in a better headspace and maybe I'll try it again. But I like to do at least one every year just to like just to test myself to have something big to look forward to and um, just make sure that the distance is still like enjoyable. I think that the more we race these races, I think the more people naturally progress to longer race, like longer distance events. Um, And I even find myself now thinking about wanting to do 50 milers and hundred milers. And I think it's just kind of the natural progression of what we're doing as a sport. You know, and I, I tell myself that too, like, man, it'd be cool to do a 50 mile or a hundred mile trail run. But like every time I do a 50 K like trail race or an ultra, I'm like probably at mile 15 or 20 and be like, no, I'm good. Like 50 K is good for my body. This is like all it wants and more sometimes. So you back up a minute. You said that the Montreal ultra was harder than Al's head. I've always heard that Al's head is like one of the hardest. Owl's Head is definitely hard. The, the Quebec Ultra that I did, and they don't they don't do it at that venue anymore. But when I tell you it was uh. literally all up and downhill, it was it was just six. Every lap of the beast was just six ascents up the mountain and then down the mountain, and it was just. I, I'll have to find it and see if I can pull the elevation from it. But it, the the steepness of those slopes that they used was so like intense that it was. It to this day was still the hardest thing. Owl's head is definitely very difficult because it's it's very similar where there's no like there's no space on the mountain, so you're just crammed up and down the mountain over and over again. And they used to host the event in the middle of August, so it was always a hundred degrees. Um, oh wow, and you just that would suck. You couldn't hide from it. So yeah, that was the main reason it was awful is is the time of year that they hosted it. Hmm. So what did you said you sign up for an ultra every year? Did you sign up? With- which one are you doing this year? Uh, I'm doing Dallas this year. Dallas falls right around my birthday every year, so we usually just use it as like a, a trip for a group of us and go out and just run the race, have a good time, get some barbecue, drink some beer, all the usual stuff. I had a feeling that's what you were going to say was Dallas. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, before we go on, you know, you were talking about playing ice hockey, and I, I can't remember if I brought this up on Discord or not before, and I probably didn't because it was too much shit to type. But I heard an interview, and it was probably, it was probably Joe Rogan, and it was probably an old one because if I have those in my phone, it like they're so long, and you know it takes me forever to get to those. But it was one with Rob Zombie, and Rob Zombie was talking about he was wanting to do a movie, but he was never given permission to do this movie, and it was a movie he wanted to do on this old on this hockey team in the past that was supposedly like this badass hockey team and you know they said that it was like maybe some mob ties to it and they were just badasses or something like that and I I, I don't know the name of the team or anything but I just thought it was 
really odd for, you know, Rob Zombie to want to do a, a movie about, you know, hockey. So I imagine it's something that he is into now. And I'm just w- wondering if you know what, like, I can't remember what team is he talking about? Or do you know any of that history there? I, I actually recall that interview because I, I listened to it as well. So he was doing, um, he was doing a movie on the Philadelphia Flyers. And back in the, um, I was it the seventies, maybe the early eighties. I think it was the seventies. The Flyers were known as the Broad Street Bullies. They essentially were That's just these it. like hard nosed, like no teeth. Just they would beat everybody up, right? And this was back when Philadelphia was like known for just having the worst fans in the world. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, they threw like they threw beers at Santa Claus at an Eagles game. <laughs> um, yeah, he was going to do a movie on the Broad Street Bullies, and it was very like. The Flyers and the Bruins, my local team, um, were very much like always against each other, always fighting. They just had this history of like beating everybody up. So yeah, I don't know whatever happened. I assume he just didn't didn't get a chance to make it or whatever. But yeah, he was going to do a, a, a movie on the Broad Street Bullies. Yeah, I figured you would. I figured that would make sense to you. I know absolutely nothing about hockey. I used to love playing the regular NES hockey. That was fun. But that's about all. <laughs> That's about all I know of about hockey, but I just thought that was pretty interesting. And he, and when he first talked about it, I was like, "Man, do I even want to listen to this?" Because I was thinking I almost turned, you know, turned the interview off at that point. And I kept listening to it, and it's like the way he talked about it and the way he was passionate about it. I was like, "Damn, this might actually be a damn good movie." <laughs> yeah. So I was pretty interested in that. It was pretty cool. Now. My girlfriend Leanne, you know, you know, has ran a couple of races with your girlfriend Molly, and, and and I was wondering, did you and Molly meet in OCR, or did y'all meet before OCR, or what? Yeah, we. Um, what's funny is we, you know, officially when we started our relationship, it was 2017, but she obviously was running races for years and years, and we we didn't really realize it at the time, but we were always in kind of the same circle of friends. Um, so I, I actually met her in 2016, uh, up at OCR world championships. So I was traveling with Sandy Ree, who was one of my co-hosts of the podcast at the time. Right. And, uh, Sandy works out at a local gym here in Nashua and we were buying some of the rec bags that they were, uh, that they always sell after the event, like discounted rec bags. And this girl comes over to Sandy at the time when we were loading stuff into the car to leave. She's like, Hey, can you guys bring this home with you i know you you live you know next to the same gym that i go to um and it turns out it was molly at that point i didn't really recognize her or or know her at the time but we actually met at owl's head uh i went up with a mutual friend and we were staying in an airbnb there was like five or six of us there and uh we met over that race weekend it was memorial day weekend in 2017 um and then 19 days later i moved in and and never left so (laughs) Uh, but yeah, we, we ultimately met at a race up in Canada. And, uh, but the funny thing is we, we essentially lived like 20 minutes apart from each other for the longest time. And we never just ran into each other at any other event until that point. Oh, that's pretty cool. And the rest is history. The rest is history. <clears throat> and she just got over an injury. How's she doing? Yeah, she's good. Um, she's at, you know, a year and a couple months of like just, insane ankle reconstruction so it's it's been a slow road of recovery um if you ask her it's it's definitely not fast enough even though it's a year and like three months later but uh i mean the girl is is she's already run you know 
a ton of miles. She's got goals to run 50 mile races and, and more than that. She's definitely fallen in love with like the long distance type stuff. Right. Um, so she's, she's working on it. And I think it's, it's just a super slow road. Like her ankle will never move like it used to when it, before the injury and, um, you know, things like the rock climbing and stuff that we used to do that, that stuff, we still haven't even gone back to try it yet. So, um, it's still a long road, she, but she's, you know, she's as stubborn as the day is long. And that's, that's one of her best traits. She won't let anything stop her. If somebody tells her she can't do something, she will 100% do it just to prove them wrong. And, uh, right. she'll just keep running. Sounds like her and Leanne have a lot of stuff in common. So when me and Leanne met, like we'd only been on like one date and, uh, the next day, um, she was at the gym and she, they had a, like a monkey bars in her gym and she was trying to do like some of that ninja warrior shit where you swing back and forth, you let go of one bar and then like go to the next bar mm-hmm. and, and she fell and broke her ankle then. And, and she calls me and says, Hey, I broke my ankle. And, and I mean, like she was at the gym with a broken ankle and she called me. I was like, well, do you have anybody to come and sit with you in the hospital? And she's like, well, I don't know. She's like, I'm going to call my mom. And so I go up there, you know, never met her mom before. And I meet her mom like in the waiting room. <laughs> and so like I met her whole family pretty much that, that day. Cause I stayed with her overnight, you know, just by her bedside. She was so fucked up. She didn't even know I was there. I don't think for part of it when she come out of surgery. And uh, so I stayed with her all the next day and I'd, met her whole family and I was like, well, this is kind of awkward, but you know, and then the rest is history for us. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I know they, uh, I know they had a couple good races together and, uh, I know they, they both ran Killington together and they both equally hated it. So yeah. I remember seeing them at the top of the, on the top of the mountain, like we're never doing this again. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, that was good. Yeah. We're all signed up to go there again this next year. Now that you say that. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm signed up. I don't know if she is, but I feel like she could be pressured into it. I don't know. Right. We have a lot of like that whole month of September is just a lot of long distance stuff. So you should sign up for the ultra and we run together. Yeah, I, I have nothing could, to prove there. So, like <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, that's, I mean, I, I was actually wanting to go to Montana this year, but when we went to Killington last year, my buddy, Michael, he had like some kind of health issue, like flare up. And I don't know if he got hypothermia or something, but his blood pressure got real high. So he had to, he, he had to DNF his ultra there. So I think we're kind of going back so he can get vengeance there too. So I'm like, well, might as well do it three years in a row. Why not? So I, I really wanted to go to Montana. Well, actually wanted to go to Montana last year, but Montana just looked like an awesome course for an ultra this year too. Yeah, that venue just looks amazing. Like the 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 skyline out there is is stellar. It was just such a like we had looked at it last year too before everything shut down. But like the biggest problem was just getting there at yeah. an affordable rate. The prices to fly there were insane. I know my sister. You know, she's a stewardess for Delta, and she says, "Yep, all the flights are going up." And I want to say she said that like all the seats are opening up on the planes for Delta soon. If it hadn't already happened, I think it already has. I think she told me it was early April they were going to open up all the rows in the Delta flights. But yeah, all of it's getting expensive. The rental cars are expensive too. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it'll be a, it'll be a costly year for traveling, but we're we're picking the right ones that we can and. 
we'll just see what other opportunities pop up, if anything. I mean, hell, we went to Tahoe on like five days notice back in 2019 because we saw a great flight that went through Vegas. And we were like, why the hell not? Let's just do it. So uh, if it pops up and it works, then we'll do it. If not, we'll catch it next time. Man, I just, every year Tahoe just looks colder and colder. And I'm, it it just (laughs) taught, I taught myself out of that one every year. Yeah, but I haven't purchased flights for Killington yet. I got a voucher for Delta. And uh, I would like to go into Burlington from Atlanta, but man, that's it's way more expensive to fly into Burlington than it is to fly into Boston. But, oh, yeah. but if you fly into Boston, you pretty much have to fly up on Thursday because the traffic blows coming out of Boston, driving through all those tunnels, man. That's the worst, dude. Yeah, Boston traffic is, uh, and it's all sort of back to normal now. Like, if it was six months ago, it'd be great. You could just breeze in and out, but it seems like uh, the city is... Just as busy as it used to be. I mean, it it seems like, okay, we're going in a tunnel. It's four lanes. And then when you come out the other side, it's like one lane coming out. It's it's like you're in this massive funnel and you're like, everybody's trying to switch lanes and go across all these lanes to make turns in this tunnel. And I'm like, all I'm thinking about is that, what is that daylight movie with Sylvester Stallone in it? (laughs) Yeah, you just have to like, it's just like driving in New York. You just have to understand that you can be an asshole and you're never going to see any of these people again. And it's all about, you got to get where you got to go on time. So sometimes you just have to cut some people off. Yeah. I mean, Atlanta's not a whole lot different, you know, I, I mean, I'm not a big city kid, man. I just, I don't think I could hack that kind of traffic every day. It would drive me nuts. Where you, you don't live in Boston, but aren't you from there? I grew up uh, a little bit south of town, so I've always sort of hovered around Boston most of my life. So, um, you know, I grew up right around, like, the Massachusetts-Rhode Island border for a while, um, and then I moved up closer to Boston. So now we're, like, an hour, hour and a half outside the city. So it's it's pretty convenient. If we ever fly, we usually fly out of Boston. Right. Um, so usually you can, you know, jump into town, drop your car somewhere. That's the other thing that stinks is, like, when you fly around here, it's, like, $30 a day just to like leave your car in, in overnight parking. So oh, man. <laughs> all the added costs that comes along with it. I think if you put, when we park our car at Atlanta for like a weekend, when we go somewhere, we fly somewhere, it's usually like 50 to a hundred dollars. I think, I think when we go to Killington, it's like a hundred bucks to leave it parked there for that trip, you know, go up on Thursday, come back on Monday. It's crazy. Yep. <clears throat> it's crazy. <clears throat> but, uh, so, I was thinking you lived in New Hampshire. Is that not right? Yeah, no, I live in New Hampshire. Okay. We're, I'm right over the border from uh, Massachusetts. So, we're like, you know, 90 seconds to Massachusetts if you got to get there. So, Right. All right, cool. So, like, last weekend, well, I'm probably not going to post this episode until next week. So, it would have actually be two weekends ago. But you did your first, is it your first age group podium you got at Savage Race? That's my first my first competitive podium at any obstacle course racing event. Fucking A, man. That had to felt great considering this was your first race post-COVID, too. Well, not post-COVID, but post-lockdown yeah. or whatever. It was, uh, it was very unique because, you know, you go out there. Savage does something unique where you have to, like, apply to get into the pro wave. Like, you can register as a pro. Right. But then they sort of filter out which people belong in the very first wave. And that's the only wave that can kind of qualify for, for prizes and money and stuff like that. 
so they send you this like application essentially when you sign up. And uh, for me, you know, I'm, I'm in this wave with all these people that are much faster than I am. And we go right out of the start gates and a half a mile into it, there's nobody around me anymore. <laughs> there's a small group behind me of, of people that I know are, are there, but maybe not competing as much. But um, it was it was pretty unexpected, to be honest. Like, I've, I've looked at my times at Savage in the past, and uh, obviously you have to complete all your obstacles uh, first and foremost. And that, that was always my thing. Obstacles was always what I could complete, but my running was never, like, never top-notch. Um, so you go out, you, you run this race, and I'm, like, I'm sort of by myself. I get passed by the girls a couple miles into it, right around, like, Lumberjack Lane. I started to see them, which was, like, sort of around the halfway mark, I think. Um, and then I get to the rig at the very end of the race, and there's just this massive group of people there. Right. And I was like, all right, well, I'm going to try the rig. Everybody else is just staring at it. And, huh. again, obstacles are kind of my thing. So I, I got through the rig the first try, um, zipped right to the finish line, and I, you know, when I looked at everybody that was there, I knew there were a bunch of people that were 40 plus, like in my age group, 40 to 44, that can definitely beat me any day of the week. Right. Um, you know, like, and even like Woodsy, if Woodsy doesn't finish on the podium, he's a 40 to 44 guy. So he would get bumped into my age group and there's no way I'm going to beat Woodsy, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I wasn't expecting much. So I, I, grabbed my phone after the fact and I checked the results and I saw that I was, I was second in my age group and it, it looked like a couple guys just got stuck at that final rig. Um, and I, I think it just, you know, the stars aligned. I think it just worked out that I had a, a good day of running. Um, and then getting through that final rig without any issue seems to be the, the differentiator. That's awesome, man. I mean, e- even the age group podium at Savage, that's I mean, that's pretty. That's pretty badass because it's like you said. Their obstacles are, are they're getting they're more challenging almost every race, especially the rig. But uh, yeah, their stuff is is very like you know they do a lot more upper body stuff than Spartan does, but it's it's just refreshing to see like a change. new obstacles every yeah. time you go. Yeah, so that's that's the one thing I think that gets people excited is what is it going to be this race, and you never know because now they're not really showing people before race day. Like they used to do the live stream and kind of show off what the rig was. And, and tips. And now it's yeah. Secret. Yeah. Yeah. I, Cause the savage I did, I did my first competitive savage this year too. And man, I had to do like a dip, multiple attempts on a couple of obstacles just because I didn't have like the technique, especially on anchors away. Man, I had to, that one just got me and I had to sit there. I bet I sat there five minutes struggling with that thing. And, and then our, and then I, I, I slipped once on sawtooth and, and I was like, and it was so dumb. It was like, I, I hit the back of my hand against the bar and, and just slipped off, got fumbled with it. You know, it's just obstacles. I'm not as used to as I am, you know, at Spartan, but I mean, you know, whether the, if the monkey bars at Spartan, they can spread them apart, make them up and down. You know, it's, it's still, once you've gone through that, that rig of monkey bars so many times, I mean, it's like second nature to go through it unless it's like wet or something, you know? Right. So I did sawtooth twice and then the rig is about a 10th of a mile from, from sawtooth. And I actually had no problems with the rig, but if, if you remember doing, when you did the live feed there, I got to that pipe and I just couldn't swing 
far enough to hit the bale. Like I got to that pipe yeah. and I didn't until I, I, it took me the third try before I could hit that bale. <laughs> and I was like, this is stupid. And it was like a timing issue with when I would let go. Cause like when I would let go, it would, it, instead of sending me towards the bale, it would just send me up. <laughs> <laughs> I felt like such a goober. Cause of course the rigs where everybody can see it. <laughs> yep. Yeah, but I mean, always, make it front and center yeah but i mean shit i wasn't the only one stuck there so it was like we were all just hanging out trying it (laughs) but anyway my goal was just to finish with the band and that was what i did so it was cool yeah but yeah man that's awesome and 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 your running is getting better because isn't justin thornley from the discord isn't he like kind of giving you a program to do or something like that yeah he's uh he's he's coaching me with, I think we're almost at like a year at this point of, of working with him. And it's, you know, oh, awesome. speed wise, like I just looking at my PRs the last year, like I'm definitely faster than what I've been. I know that, but more than anything, just like my endurance of being able to put up with like a 45 minute to an hour long workout, um, is just so much better. Like my, my mindset going into them is a lot better. And I think that's, that's just a product of, doing it every day, like running four days a week, you know, doing as much as you can to continue working and, and learning that even though a lot of these workouts just mentally and physically kill you, you can, you can get through it and then you'll just be better for it after that. So still doesn't translate quite the same to race day. Like this was my first real competitive race. And then I got uh, Austin next weekend. So it'll be interesting to see sort of how, how that comes along as I get more races under my belt. So, what is it about like Austin that attracts you? Because I know you go to a you go to a lot of Dallas races. You went to Austin and and Dallas last year, or I'm sorry, I keep saying last year. I'm everybody does it, but <laughs> yeah. in 2019. Yeah, I don't I don't know what it is about Texas, man. I I think I you know I I like the the cities. I like the barbecue and they have good <laughs> beer and wine scene. So I. I don't think you can ask for anything better. It's also, it's relatively cheap to fly into Dallas. Uh, uh, that definitely helps. Like we're actually flying into Dallas for the Austin race and then just driving a couple hours South to get to the event. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I like the terrain there too. Like the races in Texas, just some really cool, like, you know, ravines you run along and, right. and nothing like insane with Hills. They're not going to murder you with mountains, but you'll get a couple good climbs here and there. And, um, you know, it's just, it's much different than what we're used to up here in the Northeast where it's just like mountains, mountains, mountains everywhere. Right. See, I guess I'm the opposite. I like flying to the mountains because <laughs> there's none down here. Well, not in South Georgia. There is some in North Georgia, but I mean, they don't, of course it's all like state parks, you know, and they don't put no OCR races in a state park, you know. Right. But, um. That's usually what we the races we fly to. We we either fly to a like a beast somewhere, or we fly to where the mountains are. Of course, I've done the Dallas Beast uh, one time, and we did that just the first year in 2015. We flew out there just because we were trying to find a beast because we wanted to get a three times trifecta, you know, chasing trifectas. And my buddy Michael found this crazy deal, and I think it was he said it was it was 200 bucks. Both of us had an airplane ticket, and it was in, a rental car was included. But we flew out there that morning, ran the race, and flew back that night. So it was kind of like a really speedy trip. Yeah. 
And that was that year that like they had a bad storm come through the night before and like we got and we were on this dirt road to get to the venue and we were like, cool, you know, uh, we're going to get there about 930 and our wave wasn't until like 1030. Maybe we can jump in an earlier wave so we'll have plenty of time to get back to the plane. Nah, we was in a traffic jam and I'm sitting there thinking, we're going to have to fly back tomorrow because there's no way we're going to finish this in time and make it back to the airport to make our flight. And I was, I was trying to figure it out. If we get there by 12, we can, you know, probably still finish and get back to the hotel, you know. And, and sure enough, that was exactly what time we got to start was 12. So I think they ended up even cutting a couple of miles off the course because something got washed out or something too. So Yeah, they've had some some years of notorious storms there and the weather is like when we did the ultra in 2019 you know there was like half a dozen of us there at the start it was like 30 degrees so everybody's freezing and shivering and then by noontime it's like 80 so you get kind of the the best of everything (laughs) like a 70 degree swing there yeah yeah it's not fun starting ultras in 30 degree weather no because you never want to like you don't want to overdress to be warm but you don't want to be like literally shivering at the start line and like lose your hands two minutes into the race. So like when we did the Spartanburg ultra, it was like 30 something degrees that morning. It was like 36 and I shit you not a quarter mile into the race. We was in ankle to knee deep water in a Creek (laughs) and, and you know, Dan Weber, right? So he was right in front of me and he tripped and fell and went to his neck in that thing. And I was like, Oh my God, I'm, I just do not want that to happen. (laughs) Yeah. It's amazing. Cause like we, there have been races in Texas where we've had to like break ice going through the water at the start of the race. And you're like, this is Texas. What, what is happening here? Yeah. You know, cause Texas isn't known for cold weather, you know, it's like deserts out there and tumbleweeds. (laughs) (laughs) so man uh you know i remember you know hang on a second (laughs) on when you were doing your podcast or the northeast spatins like do you miss doing it or are you kind of kind of filled that gap doing davis and chase now yeah i mean that that definitely sort of fills the gap i think that the main reason we sort of stopped doing it was that I obviously am, am far more into the sport and running all the races that I possibly can. Um, whereas Paul and Sandy were very sort of casual, you know, have the, the post-race conversation and, yeah. and talk about it. And I think I was more of the, you know, following the sport, following the athletes that are running, like knowing everything I can about it. Um, so that I think it just translated better having the conversations with Matt, just because it was more in depth on the sport as opposed to, right. um, you know just leisure talk yeah exactly yeah and i i remember you know sandy because she would she would always say she would volunteer and she would tell jokes and all that and i remembered that from the episode and the first time i went to killington i recognized her voice up there and i made her tell me a joke and i thought that was super cool (laughs) (laughs) yeah she's, uh, she's always the one that'll be she, every year at killington she's like she has no intention of racing the race like her and i did a lap in uh that was probably 2015 or 2016. Her only goal was to finish the race when it was still light out. So I was like, I'll, I'll just go with you and pace you the whole time. And I'll just keep you on, on target for the, 
you know, to finish it. So she finished that year and she's like, that's it. I'm done. I, I literally don't have to run anymore, but she goes every year and camps out at the top of the mountain with candy. And she'll bring like 15 pounds of like candy and all this stuff. And she will wait until the very last racer comes through that day. She's, She's as selfless an individual as you'll find out there. So yeah, it's always cool too because when if you do the ultra at Killington, when you come to the top of the death march on that first lap, it's like a ghost town up there at the top. Nobody's there, yeah. but on that second lap, you come up there. There's probably going to be a hundred people up there just cheering everybody on that's coming up that hill, and it's one of the coolest things about Killington. Maybe besides swimming out to the bridge and getting cold and wet that's always a good time too <laughs> yeah <laughs> so you did 2013 at vermont right wasn't that the first year they had that race no so they they had two uh 2012 there that was like the the real og race itself so 2013 right. my first my first year there what was the difference between like that beast then and say a killington beast now I mean, the biggest thing back then was just you had no idea what you were getting for mileage. So we had we had races back then that were like 15, 16, 17 miles. Oh, wow. I, I want to say like the 2014 World Championship year. I mean, the course was like like 17 plus miles by the time you finished it. Um, so it was just like every race there was just like a complete murder fest, like sloshing up and down the mountains. Um, you know, back in the days when Norm was designing courses, it was super rugged, right. um, bushwhacking through everything. So it, it very much was just a, it, it was a nightmare is really what it was. I wonder what ever happened to Norm and I, what is his last name? Norm Cox? Is that how you say it? Yeah. I don't know. Yep. You've probably ran more races of his than I have. I think I've only run a couple of his. I think I run maybe... Maybe one of the Alabama races he did the first year. And I did I did the 2016 a New Jersey Ultra, and he was there because I got a picture with him that year. I remember that. wonder what's he yeah, up to he these a, days. He was he was a nut job. I, I was never, like, a huge <laughs> fan of his races. Like, I, I get the novelty of doing a, a norm-designed race, but then when it's like, okay, every race is just going to be punishing you with terrain, like, that's... I wanted to like run and really compete. And I, again, it's all on me because I never trained to do mountains or any of that stuff. So I do these races and they're just complete suffer fest for me. So I was like, all right, I'm, I'm kind of done with that. So now I want to like focus on what I can improve on. And for me, that was running and flat, generally flat courses and, and going from there. Right. You know, and I can remember like most of the carries and stuff from races, but when I think back to the 2016 ultra, I can remember the the second sandbag carry where we had like, you know, those burlap bags that they fill up and they actually make, but I can't remember like where the bucket was and where we had to do the like the Spartan pancake. I can't remember where those were at in 2016. Yeah, that was that No, I think 2017 was the year that I tried to kill an ultra, but yeah, I mean it's there's been like a handful of places, the buckets and everything have been. So every time I go to that mountain, it's like they're in different places, but right. then you're like, Oh, this was the place that we did the sandbag carry in 2014. Yeah. This was the place we did the log carry back then. And yeah. I think we've seen every inch of that bloody mountain. 
Yeah, I know the the infamous year for the bucket carry was when they had it on that last downhill right before the you come into the festival, and it was like the it was like the bucket, the rope climb, twister, and that was, and then you jumped over the fire, and that bucket you ran all the way to the bottom of the hill, got your bucket, then walked way back up that hill, and then kind of squared off, and then come back down. That was a hard year for the bucket there. Yeah, just when you think you're you you're done because you're coming down that final descent from like I think there was a sandbag right before that and like a rope climb. Yeah. And then you're coming down the descent and you can see the festival area and then you turn left and it's like oh nope just kidding here's your bucket. <laughs> yeah, that was the year I was glad I didn't. That was the only year I went to New Jersey and I didn't do the ultra and I did the beast and I was glad too because of that carry. That carry was rough. Yeah. Jersey's the one ultra that I do enjoy on a mountain because just it's it is a mountain, but it's not like terribly insane like a Killington is, and there's a there's a lot of runnable spots on it which I like. So that's that's always you know I usually try and start my year with the Jersey Ultra in terms of like long races, but yep. uh, I'm I'm not going to do it in October because the, the races no. we've done in October have been a complete mess between like the nor'easter they had one year to the cold and rain that we year after like just if that happened during an ultra i'd walk off the course yeah i've never seen uh the the weather good at that october new jersey race never it's it's never ideal and it's usually always the same weekend as the conyers race here so i don't see no point in flying to a race when there's one close to the house right yeah, I was signed up to do the ultra there this year, but it got canceled, so we went to Palm Beach instead. No, that's that's the place to be, Palm Beach. <laughs> yeah, I mean that venue's like, I mean it's nothing spectacular. I mean it's flat as a board, but I mean it's just cool to get down there. Like you can go hang out at the beach, get a good sunburn, then do the race and hang out. It was pretty cool. Yeah. So we had a good time down there. So, <clears throat> Josh, you know I'm. I think you've listened to my episode before and I've got questions I ask everybody every time, but I've got some special ones for you this time too. All right, man. Hit me. So, uh, to this date, what's your favorite race you've ever done and why? Favorite race is definitely the 2014 OCR world championships. Um, that was Ohio, right? Yeah. The course they had there in Ohio, kind of the, the natural obstacle course, the, that was the first time I walked up to an event and truly felt that I was like at a, like a very big deal event. Like there were people from all over the world there. There were like these athletes that I only heard of and that I saw for the first time in person and the obstacles, like I'll never forget the monkey bars they have there where you climb up onto a platform and then these big, you know, it's sort of like sawtooth, but in reverse. Right. So you go down and across and then all the way back up. Oh, wow. Uh, just seeing that in like the festival area for me was like this this is a pretty big deal so and the course was amazing it was it was such a good time so that that's definitely kind of an old timer for me right on so that wasn't the one that was at the wilds was it where spartan used to do theirs i don't know if spartan ever did one there it was at that that mud guts and glory course uh yeah i don't think so it was at like a weird permanent camp or something. It's been, it's been closed down since then, but yeah, that, that place was awesome. Yeah, because we did the Ohio Beast 
in 2015, and I, I think it was at the Wilds, and that was my first beast. And I, I want to say there was like some kind of like safari animal park that was close by. It was right out, maybe an hour, hour and 15 minutes outside of Columbus, I think. But I did that venue. Um, okay, so reverse that question. What's the race you disliked or hated the most and why? Oh, God. Um, I have to say it's probably Owl's Head. I think just because of like how always hot and miserable it is there and like right out of the start gate is on like a hill that's so steep that it's just miserable from the second you jump over that wall of the starting corral. So I, I feel like it has to be Owl's Head. That's just the one place I never want to go to again. <laughs> it's not that I don't want to go there. It's just that every time I've gone there, it's always been a hundred degrees. I've always been dehydrated and miserable. And I, you know, I remember the super there it took me like four hours the first time I did it. So oh, wow. Yeah, that place is a nightmare. It's funny you say that because, you know, my first mountain race was the New Jersey Ultra. You know, we signed up to do that. And you know how they always put their starting corral right there on that hill. And I remember yep. climbing over the wall and just kind of jogging up towards the starting line. And I was thinking, holy shit, I bet this is going to be a long day. <laughs> being yep. from South Georgia, you know, being flat. So, all right, man. So now I want you to tell me, like, what is your, like, race routine? Like, what are you doing, like, Friday? Do you have, like, a staple meal that you go by? Like, what do you do the morning of? Like, what's your weekend race routine, if you have one? Um, I, I don't really have a set meal the night before. Like, I'll always, you know, I'll always try to have, like, chicken parm or something like that if it's a big race. Um, if it's just like a small race, like a sprint or something, I'll just go out and have pizza and beer with the, the folks that I'm traveling with. Right. Um, race day. This is where Molly and I differ. Um, I like to get to the race very early. Me too. Um, not because I like to warm up. I very rarely warm up. I just started trying to do more of that now. Um, I just like to get there and get settled. And I also like to give myself to time, like to have breakfast in the morning. Um, Molly's more of a show up 20 minutes before the race and start the race. Man, her and Leanne are so alike. I feel like I have to drag Leanne out of bed. Like, I have to wake Leanne up, and she's kind of like got to chill in bed for a minute and kind of like, you know, Facebook and, you know, and I'll make her some coffee, and then she'll finally kind of wake up and we can get ready to go. So I'm already like ready to get in the car. (laughs) (laughs) So what what you and I should do is – you and I will go to the race early. We'll all we'll all hotel at the, the next race we go to, and those two can show up five yeah. minutes beforehand, and you and I will be there an hour beforehand. I know, because we're going to Fayetteville at the end of the month, or end of June, and, uh, you know, we'll have two cars there, but, you know, Leanne's going to run the Beast, and the rest of us, we're going to run the Ultra, and she's like, I'm not even going to be able to get in the venue you know, because they won't let you get in the venue until like 30 minutes before your start time. And I'm like, yeah, that is kind of sucks. She's like, well, I kind of want to be there and watch y'all go off and everything. I was like, well, I guess you'll just, you might be able to sleep in and just take the other car. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing wrong with, uh, with sleeping in. That's like when we ran, um, uh, what was it like Savage Chicago last year, their start time wasn't until like nine 30. I was like, this is great. That's awesome. Sleep in, take some time. But yeah. 
like going to Savage this time around, when that alarm clock went off at like 6 a.m., I was like, oh, God, remember waking up early. Like, why did we do that? So it'll take a few times to get back into the swing of things, I think. Yeah, I think, and like, it's always like the night before an ultra, you know, I really can't, I can't sleep good. And I'm thinking I'll wake up at like three o'clock and I'm like, fuck, I might as well just get up and eat breakfast, you know? Because yep. <laughs> we usually, like, when we stay in Killington, we usually stay in, what's that town south of Killington? Is it Ludlow? Is that right? Yeah. We we usually stay there because there's an Airbnb that we stayed at that we like. And, you know, that's like a 45-minute drive, so... You know, we're yep. always having to get up early to do that. I don't know. It's like everything on the site for Killington is super expensive to Airbnb and VRBO. Like, where do you usually stay at when you go to Killington? We, I mean, we'll usually try and stay on site. Like, we've stayed right in the village there. We've, we've just split a place with a couple of people. But then there's also times where we've had to stay further away. Um but we, we usually have to bunk with like six or seven people just to get something close because you have to split all the costs. So, Yeah, man, it's just like super expensive there. Yep. So like when you get up the morning before a race, do you like take any supplements or is there like any products you swear by to where like if you showed up at a race and you didn't have it, you'd be like, fuck? Uh, not really. I I try and stay away from that stuff only because – the more you, and, and this is just my, my own two cents, but like the more you come to rely on that stuff, the more, you know, the more you sort of like think you're not capable of doing well without it. Right. Um, when I ever have like my workout runs that I'm doing here, my routine at home is pretty straightforward. I'll take, <laughs> I always joke because my pre-workout now that I'm 40 plus is like a Tylenol and three Advil. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I take those before any workout and then I'll eat like a Pop-Tart. Uh, and that's about it. Like, even before Savage, like I just had half a pop tart or whatever. So I, I try and stay away from supplements only because I'll get in my own head and be like, Oh God, I don't have my, you know, if it's like Endurally, like I don't have my Endurally, I'm not going to be able to perform today. So if I can, if I can do well without them, then, you know, if I take something, then great. But if I don't, you know, that's, I just try and stay away from it. Right on. All right, man. So like, these are the questions that are like you specific here. Okay. So, because I know you, I've listened to all your Matt's banter and everything. So, if you could be any Marvel character, what character would it be and why? These are the hard-hitting questions that I've been waiting for this whole interview. <laughs> um, this, this is a tough one. So, I was always, growing up, I was always a fan of Spider-Man. I was, I was huge into Spider-Man's comics when I was younger. I actually worked at a comic book store for a couple of years. Um, always was a Spider-Man fan. So if, if I was going to pick anybody, I think it would have to be Spider-Man. Second only to Iron Man. Like, I was I was a huge Iron Man fan, too. I just loved Tony Stark's story. Right. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm team Spider-Man all the way. Yeah, it was the cool thing about Iron Man is, is he was, like, super rich, too, which that's kind of cool, whereas Spider-Man was just <laughs> some dude that took pictures. Yeah. <laughs> so, for me personally, I think it would have to be Wolverine just because he heals, man, and he lived for a really long time, and I just thought that was cool. <laughs> yeah, it would be nice to have that that recouping ability and like and he could make a lot of money just think of like you could just one swipe trees man he could be a lumberjack and just crush it dude <laughs> <laughs> okay man so like if you could 
Wait, I want to back up. I just thought of something. So you said you used to work at a comic book store. Were you like one of those guys that worked at a comic store? Was it like a small local comic book store? So if people like come in there and would say something stupid, you'd like kind of smart off at them? <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a super local comic book store. We tried not to like belittle people as they came in and, you know, because it was big in like, um, you know, like Magic the Gathering was just getting very big and popular. Like right. that's when I started working there. And, um, you know, so we did like comics and, and magic and lots of like collectible games and stuff like that. So I tried not to be that person. But, right. Yeah. A lot of times you, you end up being that person anyway. <laughs> <clears throat> Would you run like some of those magic card players like off for loitering and stuff if they weren't buying anything? <laughs> Dude, I'll tell you, one, one of my biggest regrets is I had so many magic cards that today are worth thousands and thousands of dollars that I just like parted ways with because I just stopped playing. Oh, wow. And if I could go back and like know that that stuff was going to be as collectible as it was, I would have I saved those things and, and kept them mint condition. See, I had no idea that those cards were worth money. I just thought it was like playing cards. But was there like rare cards that you would get like when you would buy something? Kind of like baseball yeah. cards or something? Yeah, there were not only rare cards, but then there were cards that they would like like get out of production and just no longer allow people to play because, you know, the cards in the beginning were so like overpowered. Right. I didn't think the game would get as big as it would. So now, now some of the cards that I like tossed are like thousands of dollars each. Oh, so shit. it's it's crazy to think of. I never played it. I, I, th- I want to say I might have been like a teenager and already skateboarding, and that was kind of like yep. what I revolved around at that point. But is that like still a thing? Like, can you still go and buy magic cards? I'm sure you can. Not, not only is it still a thing, like card wise, but now they have like online versions of it that you can play and and all this crap. So. I know World of Warcraft has their own, own little phone app game of playing, and it's like a card game type battle thing too. I played it a couple of times. And I was like, eh. Yeah, I don't. I I'm very like I have a super addictive personality, so I have to try and stay away from stuff like that. Otherwise, it becomes all encompassing. Yeah, I know. Me and me and my buddy Michael were pretty uh, deep into the Star Wars Galaxy Heroes game. This on the phone, <laughs> and he's like. Like, but he, I play it just because, like, I played the uh, the Game of Thrones game that was like a storyboard type game, and yeah. I had like a couple of years into that game, and then all of a sudden, they send out a message board saying, hey, we're going to quit supporting this game in like a couple of months, it's going to go away, and I'm like, what the fuck, you know? <laughs> I invested all this time into this, what the hell? So, I was in between... And I, I wanted to choose another game to play, and I was in between. There was I was playing Galaxy of Heroes, and then there was a Lord of the Rings like mobile game I was kind of playing too. But I, I read a lot of reviews on it, and they were like, "If you don't spend money on this, you're not going to be able to do what you want to." And I was like, so I leaned more towards, and I and then I was worried, but you know, Lord of the Rings that's a movie production that they're not making any more movies at this point, so this game might go away too. <laughs> So I figured Star Wars ain't going away. Star Wars isn't going anywhere. <laughs> so I figured I'll be, I'll be playing that. I don't know. I've probably been playing this for like three years now. But my buddy Michael, you know, like he's a Star Wars just geek. Like he like is in the subscription for what is it? Is it Sideshow that makes all those toys or whatever? 
So he buys those like every time the new one comes out. I think they just automatically just mail it to him and take the money out of his account. They're like $250 a piece. Michael's got like a whole basement room with nothing full of just Star Wars collectibles. And he's got like Tupperware things full of it like in his carport stacked up. There's nothing but like Star Wars toys and stuff. He's totally obsessed. And he was like showing me like these people trying to sell like back in the day, like old Star Wars toys. Like there would be like Russian knockoffs of, you know, Star Wars toys. And like those today are worth more in the package than like regular Star Wars toys were from that era. Right. And it's a knockoff. I'm like, that's, that's insane. (laughs) <laughs> that was the other thing I had a ton of too and my mom got mad at me one day and threw them all out oh. and I looked, looked back I was like do you know how much money we threw away because I didn't clean up my toys and she's like well that's what you get So <laughs> <laughs> typical mom answer yep. <laughs> yeah I gave all mine I gave it I was, my brother Chris was more into Star Wars you know than I was he had all the toys but he gave them all to me and then I gave them all away too So, <laughs> so it was pretty stupid too I remember that I wish I could go back because we had a bunch of it too. Yeah. We had a bunch of G.I. Joe stuff and we gave it all away. We actually had, my brother had the aircraft carrier that was like almost as big as like a single bed. I mean, it was huge. (laughs) We gave all that shit away or either sold it at a yard sale or something. I can't remember. So all this talk about Star Wars, that leads me into my next question. If you could be any Star Wars character, who would it be and why? Molly's nearby. Molly, you want to answer this one for me? Who do I want to be from Star Wars? No, she doesn't want to answer. It's Han Solo. I always wanted to be Han Solo as a kid. Like, everybody, of course, loved Luke Skywalker and his lightsaber, but I was always a Han Solo fan. He was like, he was my hero as a kid. You know, and he's just, you know, wisecracking, smart ass, like, badass smuggler guy that that was me right and you know and that was my guess too for you i was like i bet he would pick either han solo or luke skywalker is what i'm thinking if i was going to pick any and it's and it's just because he has like his race ability and that would probably be kit fisto just because he could breathe underwater and he had that cool (laughs) kind of natural dreadlock looking tentacle thing going on i was like hey that guy looks pretty cool he does have good dreadlocks. <laughs> Which I think they were really like actually tentacles, but but it was he was just a cool character and it was like very small part in the movies. You saw him for a little bit in the second one and then he died really quick on the, the third one. So I was like, Oh man. I expected to see so much more out of Kit. <laughs> and he had a brief stint in Clone Wars. Yeah, the obscure ones always get this weird following. So maybe if they get like popular enough, they get their own their own show or their own storyline or something. Right. Did you watch the Bad Batch yet? I have not watched it yet. Uh, it'll probably be on the docket this weekend at some point. I'm sure. It, it to me, you know, I didn't really care for that episode when it came out because I was like, how are they going to make a series out of this and make it worth watching? But they start it like right, and I don't want to spoil much, but I will just tell you this: they start the story around the Order sixty six time, so it leads into a good story just from that point, you know. So that was that. It it was way better than I thought it was going to be. Good. Anyway, I'm looking forward to all those Star Wars episodes that are coming up too. 
<clears throat> well, Josh, man, we're on an hour here, man. Uh, is there anything you want to add and tell people where to find you? And you know the website to Discord way better than I. And you created the Discord with all the credits to Josh. He created the Discord, and it's super fun. We enjoy it. We're all in there chatting. I'm I'm in there not as much as everybody else, but when I'm at work and I got my desktop computer up, I'm usually on it more then than when I'm not at work. Yeah, it was uh, you know, it's just born from how like monotonous and annoying Facebook became. So it's good to have like a, a community of people that are invested and and having conversations. The uh, if you're not on it, the website is bit.ly forward slash OCR chat. I just made a, a short form link that you can always use to get on there if you're not a part of it or uh, shoot me a message on Instagram or whatever if you want to join it. But uh, yeah, it's just, you know, it's a good way to stay connected with some people and, and figure out who's going to be your races and all that stuff. So I'm, I'm looking forward to catching a bunch of people in Austin in a couple weeks and, and just getting back out to races and seeing people that I haven't seen and a year and change that'll be that'll be the best part of it i think yeah man well hey josh man i appreciate you taking time to do this thanks man it was great talking to you we'll catch you very soon hope you enjoyed the interview i want to thank josh again for taking time to talk to us check them out on obstacle racing media every tuesday discourse with davis and chase you won't regret it also check out the discord that Josh was talking about earlier. Um, we always have a good time in there. A lot of times you'll find out stuff in there that you won't see anywhere else first, which is real cool. No new reviews right now. If you leave one, I'll read it on the next episode. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram, and we'll see you at next race. Peace. Mm-hmm.